I'm here today as a parent and a senator, and along with my colleagues and so many of the advocates from around the country, uh, we are determined to stop a situation in which video games with pornographic and violent content are being peddled to our children. Uh, they can help our children learn, they can increase hand and eye coordination, but now it is up to adults whether they wish to expose themselves to this type of violence and pornography. There was testimony before the Senate Commerce Committee in 2000 that playing video games, violent video games, accounts for a 13 to 22 percent increase in teenagers' violent behavior. And let me be very, very clear. This legislation is not about government censorship or regulation of content. Quite simply, it is about protecting children and empowering parents. So we the time has come to put on the brakes uh, and to just insist that parents know what material is in the video games their children play and to pass laws with real teeth. What um, may make him even more qualified to be here today is he is the father of twin boys just like Senator By. So Mr. Rosenberg looks at the effect of violent and pornographic video games on children in a very personal way. Well, hello everyone. It's a beautiful, beautiful Thursday morning. Mm -hmm. Here in Los Angeles, California, mm -hmm. uh, welcome to a very special episode of Struggle Session. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. I'm Jack Allison. I'm Leslie the Third. So today's episode's about moral panics, and specifically the gaming panic of the early '90s to the early 2000s. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. Basically, what we're trying to do here is we're going to do one of these smart guy episodes, like the other shows do, where we like explain the history of something. Except when we do it, it's about video games yes, and yeah. stuff. So we're just going to like. Uh, you know, Deep like guy, the other baby. shows, like they'll teach you about like how healthcare works or like what the deal is with like Iran or something. We know about Jack Thompson. So that's what we're going to get into today. And uh, uh, we hope you enjoy it. Hell yeah. So let's uh, travel back in time to 1993, a very exciting time. Mm -hmm. And video games were growing and they were growing at a rate that was fairly unprecedented. You yeah. had this is the post crash of the 80s. And games were back, baby. You had the 16-bit era. You had arcades that were blowing up all over the country with new and exciting games like The Simpsons beat em up and Mortal <laughs> Kombat, Street Fighter. Yeah. Games, by the way, these graphics now were becoming so hyper-realistic. It, hyper it looked like you were actually looking out of a window uh, onto The Simpsons fighting in a street uh, <laughs> right in front of you. <laughs> So, I mean, the graphics were getting, you know, better. Uh, uh, and, you know, this uh, raised flag, red flags in the uh, eyes of concerned parents around the country. Concerned because, parents around the country. Because video games were now um, real. Yeah. Video games had become real. Uh, obviously, in the 80s, it was very clear uh, when you're playing a video game, you're not actually in space uh, shooting lasers at space invaders. But then when they got those extra few bits, uh, it became very clear to dif very difficult to differentiate between uh, what's reality and what's video game. Well, and let me clarify, it wasn't necessarily even the pixelated violence that played a part, although 
first-person shooters like Wolfenstein and Doom did scare the shit out of Washington, D.C. and concerned parents groups, but it was the rise of full-motion video violence in games that really kicked things up a notch. Mortal Kombat used uh, very bad actors, as did a game called Night Trap that came out for the Sega CD. And this, well, alarm- I think that's a little bit unfair to the actors in the Mortal Kombat because they only did like uh, motion capture and like <laughs> like some screams. So, so like, I, oh, I think I think ah, it's a little bit unfair to judge there. No, you're right. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. like, if you look at Johnny Cage in 1992 versus in say Mortal Kombat X, uh, you know he's gotten better. He's taken some classes. He's learned a little Meisner philosophy. Maybe some right. Stanislavski. Right. So, so the original Mortal Kombat was revolutionary because it used like actual images of people sort of badly performing martial arts. Badly performing martial arts. And With like globs of cartoon blood coming off of right. them. Right. But this, this was unprecedented. Yes. Not to mention the first person shooters, which is like, oh my God, you are a gun and you're mm-hmm. killing people. What mm-hmm. the hell is that? So you had a few senators who had already been fighting the good fight against violence in media. You had Joseph Lieberman. You had Tipper Gore, who was... Okay, you had a few politicians. (laughs) So you had a few politicians who were already sounding the alarms. And there were lots of advocacy groups that were crossing the line, like Focus on the Family, which was in the Parents Television Association. These were, at the time, bipartisan groups. These were not, they were fundamentalist Christian groups, but Democrats were willing to work with them. At that time, it was a bipartisan thing to be a fundamentalist Christian. It was a bipartisan thing to be terrified. And so (laughs) you start to see these really wacky advocacy lawyers start to walk in lockstep with certain politicians. You had guys like Joseph Lieberman working with guys like Jack Thompson. Jack Thompson is one of the most notorious anti-video game attorneys in the world, and he eventually got disbarred, but we'll get in, to that In many later. ways, yeah, we can, we'll get into Jack Thompson, but I, in a lot of ways, he was kind of a, a, at the forefront of trolling, I think, in a very weird way. He was. He was a conservative troll. He was yeah. a, an anti-obscenity troll. Uh, and we'll, we'll get back into that. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is that when these video games started popping up, you just had constant coverage from mainstream media. Like, what are your kids playing? Uh, what is this violence in video games? And this is also around the time of hip-hop, mm-hmm. uh, violent and sexual lyrics and rock music. Mm-hmm. The late 80s and early 90s were sort of the uh, the original culture war. Or not even the original culture war, because it really... Yeah, that was like to, the Reformation, yeah, the I would Reformation. say. <laughs> but if you look back at the last 60 years of culture wars, mm-hmm. you'll see... A very, very similar through line. I mean, you'll see it with rock and roll and jazz music. And then you saw it with, uh, you know, punk music. And then you eventually what? saw it with rap and hip hop. And so what the and fuck happened to all these boomers? Like, these are the same people that were all about free love and doing all these drugs and everything. Then they did cocaine for an entire decade and got like and spiraled into a cocaine frenzy where they were afraid of video games. Like, what <laughs> happened to these people? I think they got fucking shitty kids. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> They had shitty kids who were like... Like well, us. We're the like one. Us. We us. We're, we're the problem. <laughs> we were sitting at home all day. We weren't going outside. We were, you know, when we went out to arcades, we spent countless quarters just beating the shit out of each other. I, I you know... We should have been more like our parents and uh, went and laid down in a park and smoked weed for 16 straight hours staring at the sky. I mean, I do that now and then. That's not too bad. <laughs> Look, that's not bad either, but I'm just saying that I'm... Well, whatever. 
The boomers suck, is what I'm saying. The boomers blew it. And so they spent years and years in the 80s and 90s going to war with rap music, going to war with video games. And with video games in particular, it was heated. Now, Tipper Gore was sort of uh, in the middle of her war, uh, which eventually led to the creation of the parental advisory label on music CDs, the explicit content warning. Or as I like to call it, the uh, uh, the cool sticker, the sticker that you, uh, <laughs> as a teenager, uh, would, would see on an album and know that it meant it was a cool album. And while the video games industry was separated into multiple, you know, uh, what do you call them? Advocacy? What do you call trade well, trade groups? Well, so the, the video lobbies. game. So wasn't it that like the, that Congress or the the government basically like you know told the game industry like you need to self regulate like we need a rating system for video games and the like the various sort of trade groups came up with a, a couple different rating systems. Well, there are a few different rating systems at the time. Uh, there were the bones of what is now the ESRB, which was started by what is now the ESA, the mm-hmm. o- uh, Electronic Software Association. It's not what is now. It started as the ESA and it became the ESRB, right? No. So the ESRB is a rating system that is currently operated by the ESA, which is the main trade group for the video game industry. But in the early 90s, there were multiple trade groups, including the IEMA and just the EMA. And there are probably like four or five different of these groups, and they had no cohesive agenda. But the video game... Other than like, you know, make it so that video games aren't made illegal? Correct. Right. But that was the, the siren's call of Washington and the old media brought them all together. And they began to coalesce and really, really push something that hadn't happened in entertainment before, which was making the consumer a part of the political process. A lot of people were shocked by a lot of people are are shocked in general by how political gamers can be and how often their politics are terrible but what you have to understand is that we grew up reading magazines like electronic gaming monthly game informer uh what was it next generation and politics was a huge part of the reporting in these magazines we were constantly being told what was going on on capitol hill well because these are basically an existential threat to the entirety of the industry i mean like make no mistake it's like Video game journalism, especially at this time in the 90s, like bears a real striking resemblance to like Guns and Ammo magazine and yes. things like that. Like these are, you know, uh, uh, sort of industry mouthpieces uh, uh, fighting for their own existence a- a- at this point. Right. And so you have millions and millions of kids who are essentially terrified that the big mean government is going to take, you know, their games away. And they're actively and they trying, trying to. Right. They, they were right. trying to. They, they were, were not right. wrong to think that. And, unlike and unlike uh, uh, the gun lobby, which I don't think that they're actually going to try to take away or get to take away anybody's guns. Like, they were coming for your video games. Now, And they'll take them from my cold, dead fucking hands. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's important to know that, you know, uh, Democrats, being Democrats, had no fucking idea on how to sell their criticism to the public. Nobody liked what they were doing. Uh, except for, you know, the occasional soccer mom. But you had, uh, this was not, it was not popular. Any of these attacks on the video game industry were not popular at all. And by also focusing on violence, it completely ignored a bigger issue, which is that the video game industry in its rapid growth was beginning to become more exploitative, was beginning to roll back uh, protections for, for workers, and was beginning to essentially 
uh, essentially create an infrastructure that, as we now see it, is this behemoth that is fairly out of control. And, and you know, has abuses sort of built into, like, the the very way that they work. Like, you know, we've, we've talked about crunch before on the show, but, like, the very idea that, like, crunch is, you know, fetishized in any way by the games industry is fucked. You know what I mean? That's just, like, a nice word for, like, working people to the bone. But if you went on any video games website, if you went on Penny Arcade, if you went on IGN, if you went on GameSpot... All stellar, stellar publications. Stellar publications, but the publications we knew. And even uh, even old Kotaku, like video game uh, politics were entrenched in the identity of the game. And, and kind of hilariously, and you'll see it like, and you'll make, you know, you, a lot of people will deservedly make fun of this kind of shit. But like when I'm talking about like people talked about it in the same way as they talked about like the Second Amendment, there are like, you know, control alt delete strips and penny arcade strips where like if you just switched out like the words they were using, it would be like a right winger talking about guns. It's like very, there's like a control alt delete script uh, uh, or uh, one. I remember especially uh, uh, called Loss. No, I'm joking. Uh, uh, where he where he says like you know we are gamers. Don't fuck with us. Uh, uh, which you know feels very uh, conservative uh, uh, in its own, in its phrasing. Now the benefit to this industry was huge in getting people to advocate for the people selling them games. It was huge because the game industry didn't really have a face. All people knew about the game industry was, well, you got a Sega, you got a Nintendo, or you got a PC. You know, yeah. you'd maybe. And get if you that. had the Nintendo, obviously you were wrong yeah, because the Sega was better. The Sega Genesis. Uh, whoa, whoa, so. Hold up! Hold up. <laughs> oh, the the Mario lover is chiming in. Uh, I'm not going to defend current Nintendo, but I will defend old Nintendo. And you know what? All this problem started because of Sega and that goddamn Sega CD. Like, oh. we wouldn't have to be worrying about this if they hadn't made that blasted infernal, terrible, terrible so let's talk peripheral about that created the opportunity to make something as shitty as um, Night Trap. So Night Trap, Night Trap was sort of the proto Grand Theft Auto hot coffee scandal. The sex scandal of the video game industry. Right. Only the, the the biggest difference between it and Grand Theft Auto, though, is that nobody ever played Night Trap or gave a fuck about it whatsoever. It was on Sega CD, which I believe had an install base of 150 people. Uh, so it, I don't know how much it was warping the minds of American youth, but it was a truly horrifying game. Yeah. So, okay, in, De- so- in, in December 1993... Joseph Lieberman and another senator named Herb Cole, who I actually, I don't know much about, two Democrats, uh, held hearings for the video game industry. And this is where, this is where the, the bones of the ESA began to truly form. Night Trap scared the shit out of Congress. Today, Night Trap is actually rated T for teen because it's so cheesy and nonviolent. But in 1993, holy shit, that was a panic. Now, Night Trap is a, a full motion video game where y- the best way to describe it, uh, I guess, would be uh, my free cams meets meets <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, where you are at uh, you are at like a slumber party with Dana Plato from Different Strokes, <laughs> and uh, may she rest in the sorority house. Yes, you're, oh no, you're in a sorority house, correct? And uh, there is a killer fair on to the, the loose. canon of Night Night Trap here. No, no, I can't fuck up the plot. <laughs> there is a serial killer on the loose at the sorority house, and you just jump between security cameras, uh, and you have some special special magical power to protect 
the girls by pressing a button when you catch the killer at the right moment. It's really bad. It, it's kind of like Five Nights at Freddy's, only slightly more advanced and made 25 years earlier. It, actually, holy shit, you're right. It's, it's the same fucking game. It's Five Nights at Freddy's with, like, yeah, like uh, women with 90s hair and 90s. And it's just, it's god-awful. It's It's... So cheesy, and it's not scary, and it's not even that violent. It's not scary. It's like these like brightly lit porno sets, like uh, of people being killed in like the least gruesome deaths I've ever seen. Like the big one that they talked, they talk about it, you know, in those hearings where they're like a woman is taken and and a drill is put into her neck and everything. If you actually watch like the video from Night Trap, it's like. These, like, four men in jumpsuits come in and, like, put a big, ridiculous, like, sci-fi device up to her neck. It, like, is the cheesiest fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so fucking silly. And Joseph Lieberman, by the way, admitted that he had never played the game and had only seen clips. Which, Which, I mean, even if he'd only seen clips, it's fucking stupid. (laughs) The clips are so silly. So, the the designer actually... Uh, it was this dude named Rob Fullup, and he was actually pissed off. He was like, why are you going after my game when Mortal Kombat is so much worse? And and so th- it started to become a bit of an infight where yeah. some game developers were beginning to go, yeah, you know, fuck these really violent games. They're putting the rest of us in trouble. There was not a lot of solidarity in the game industry. Even, like, the president of Nintendo, you know, the, the Reggie Philomy of the time, uh, went before Congress, and he was like, we will never have Night Trap on, like, Super Nintendo. Yeah, no, no seal like, of approval for Neglecting this to say that it's, like, because, first of all, you couldn't get full motion video on a cartridge, and second of all, like, the sales just wouldn't be good enough, because uh, yeah. uh, sa- nobody bought Night Trap. The sales wasn't... The sales weren't good anyway. Like, yeah, the Sega CD was a failure of a system. I owned the Sega CD, but I, I think that I was the only person in the state. <laughs> uh, Sonic, C- Sonic CD was dope. Sonic CD was dope, and, and the, the Jurassic things- Park game was, like, kind of original and interesting and weird for what it was. But essentially... Anyone play that? All right, the, bye. I, I did, actually. <laughs> it was on the PC. Too. It was kind of weird. It was like Mist or something. Yeah, it was... Is that the one with had the top-down shooter moments, too, or is that... Different- oh, I think that's a different one. Okay. Anyway... Anyway, what what it boiled down to is that this moment created a mass panic in the video game industry, and there was a decision uh, by by these these merchant associations that had been sort of divided at the time that they need to create something, and that was the Entertainment Software Review Board, the ESRB. Now, the ESRB, as you know, video game ratings, E-T-M-A-O. Now, back then... There were actually some form of weird voluntary ratings, but they weren't universal. Mm -hmm. So some games had these ratings and some didn't. Actually, it's kind of interesting because where we're headed now is we're sort of headed to an era where I think a lot of indie devs are actually skipping the ESRB now. I Uh, bet, yeah. You have to work with the ESRB if you want to get on any console, period. But for PC games, it was never really forced because you can't really just make someone do that. But the deal was is that all of the major publishers, as part of their work with the ESRB, would agree to this. Similar, by the way, to what happened with comic books in the 50s. Right. Where Frederick Wertham uh, hauled up Bill Gaines, the, the editor of EC Comics, and said, uh, is this not obscene? And he held up a comic with a, a, a detective holding a severed head. In one of their horror stories, and he had to explain that. He also had to explain why uh, Batman wasn't fucking Robin. Because <laughs> Congress 
Congress had a, which I mean, it is still open to the interpretation. I would say, you know what I mean. Even though, even though it's in the Library of Congress at this point, like you know, you can still have headcanon. There's a really great book I I can't recommend enough, by the way, called The Ten Cent Plague, that really gets into the comic book panic of the 40s and 50s because the parallels are fucking uncanny. Yeah, there's the parallel that I lived through reading Wizard comics, and they would always talk about the comics code because that was during like the waning days of when people were Mm -hmm. kind of getting of that shit and like isn't is not is not a thing anymore because like the even the major publishers you like don't bother with it anymore but so in there was kind of a push to say oh well if we aren't going to do the comics code uh we should do ratings because video games are going to start doing ratings and all the creators were very against it alan moore in particular uh spoke out against ever uh putting uh ratings on comics i think marvel and dc have played with it but it's always been uh creator pushback because whenever you start doing putting ratings on anything as we've learned with film as soon as you put that pg-13 rating on it that's what everybody's gonna buy because it's a safe bet and you know what that's the only thing you're gonna make from then on if you're right when you're selling stuff not 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 to go a little off topic a little bit but a fun fact about the pg-13 is that the pg-13 was created because of indiana jones and the temple of doom yeah it had these very violent scenes with the monkey brains and the heart ripping and the mpaa gave it an r and spielberg said no 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 no. this is not an r-rated movie this is still appropriate for teenagers and hollywood said well okay uh, whatever the, you say, Stephen. Whatever you say, Stephen. And so the PG-13 was born. Now and the PG- ruined film uh, <laughs> forever. <laughs> just like the teen rating is pretty shitty. And just like anything rated teen is bad because it separates family-friendly and adult content with this weird sort of buffer level that isn't isn't quite real. Doesn't like, have any adult thoughts, but plays with adults, adult themes. Right, like, yeah. So now the, the standard for any big budget Marvel movie or any big budget action movie or any big budget anything is PG-13 because and, it's, and, and, it, it's for 10-year-olds who want to feel older. And That's also what that, what, it, what that amounts to is like they get to say shit one time and like what a stupid and fucking childish way to make any kind of art, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> back, back, back to the congressional hearing. So Night Trap... Mortal Kombat, panic in Washington, panic in parent groups, fundamentalist Christians like James Dobson and Focus on the Family, and then, of course, the rise of these hucksters, these fucking frauds. You had two very famous ones. You had a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, and you had a guy named Jack Thompson. Now, let's jump a little ahead to Columbine, because Columbine was a moment that, again, restarted the video game panic. A few years passed, everyone had kind of accepted the fact that people were just going to play Mortal Kombat and Doom. But then a bunch of fucking dipshits put on trench coats and shot up their school. Now, it turns out that these kids like to play video games like every other fucking kid in the world, but it yeah. didn't matter. Uh, another important element of their personality uh, uh, is that they were psychopaths, yes. uh, uh, psychopath murderers. Uh, uh, so that is another, you know, as, as we all are such textured uh, uh, and contain so many facets, the Columbine kids, yes, played video games, but also were psychotic murderers. Uh, uh, and so, you know, maybe the two don't have... Uh, uh, Maybe, maybe correlation is not causation there. So Dave Grossman is the first real grifter. Uh, he, he claims that uh, he is a... He specializes in killology, which is the psychology of killing. And he wrote a book where he described video games as murder simulators. And this book, oof, he went on tour. He was on all of the TV networks, 
warning families about the dangers of these murder simulators. And, again, went back to first-person shooters, went back to games like Night Trap, went back to games like Mortal Kombat, games that, if you actually put in front of a child today, they would probably laugh at how absurd the core is. Yeah, kids are watching, like... Dora the Explorer, like, dubbed over with, like, faces of death. Like, they can handle Night Trap these days. Now, this guy has actually managed, by the way, to have a career for years. This is a guy who still does this. He writes book after book after book about how kids are being trained to kill. And... Uh, I think that they are. It's just... Uh, they're not in, being trained in, in to train, kill by the video games training. industry. They're being trained to kill by the military-industrial complex and the cops. But, hey... You know, you can't actually go against uh, violent authority. I mean, this is a guy, that's another weird thing, is that he's a lieutenant colonel. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> the military is kind of all as about a, killing. Yeah, as a man who has, like, caused actual death, I think that video games uh, well, uh, actually, might... here's what's weird, is that, like, I don't actually know, so he's, he's retired, but, so, but, but then he, he has been writing books about combat psychology, uh, he wrote 1999's. Stop Teaching Our Kids to Kill. He wrote 2016's Assassination Generation, Video Games, Aggression, and the Psychology of Killing. He That came out last year, or two years ago. That's his grift. This is what he does. Right. And he's been doing it for 20-something years. He actually kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, that one guy who has that, uh... What am I talking the, the anti-marijuana dude who has that lobby. He's been doing it for, like, th- Kevin Sabet, who oh, has no. his, like... He's a guy who has, like, a smart approach on marijuana lobby, where he's just a guy who is constantly going on TV talking about how marijuana needs to be uh, recriminalized, and he's been doing it since, like, 1996. And it's like, where does this fucking guy even come from? Why do they keep putting him on TV? So Grossman's one it's of these just because you need the counterpoint. It's like people can just get paid to be the counterpoint. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they need someone to come on, so fucking this guy does it. And then some people take it. Just they just take it too seriously. Like these guys know how to make money. They they stir up the same panic. They walk away. Jack Thompson did not know how to make money. He ruined his own life going to war with video games. He did. Now, so Jack, let's talk about that a little let's bit. Talk let's about let's Jack. finally get into Jack Thompson. You know the the controversial figure that has spawned uh, an entire generation of angry young men to be as angry as they are. Jack Thompson is the prototypical Florida conservative anti-obscenity guy. He is a dude who, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, went to war with two live crew and other hip-hop groups. He <laughs> Stern, right? Also, didn't he Stern, go to... Stern. He got Stern kicked off of Clear Channel. Uh, and this is like, like, this is a guy who literally bankrolled his life on, on the evils of the song Me So Horny. <laughs> and he was good at it. He was good at it. This is a guy who managed to get himself on every TV network in the world talking about video games. And something happened. A game called Grand Theft Auto came out in the early 2000s, and that changed the game. Brought the debate back to the forefront. And he, Jack Thompson, was constantly suing. He was suing the publishers. He was suing the developers. He was suing the the, the state and eventually, I mean, this guy was so prolific. He was, I mean, he, he was almost like a televangelist because of how prolific he was. This yeah. guy was on every TV network. He had managed to brand himself as an expert. He managed to brand himself as a family values guy. He had 
conservatives and Democrats backing him. I mean, he was also an extremist, too. I mean, like, the way he would talk about this stuff is that, like, he he didn't want there to be a ratings board because he thought it would be better if, like, children played violent video games because that would mean that games would go away sooner. Like, uh, uh... this is, you know, this is an extremist who, like, thought that, like, video games in toto were uh, pornography. He also, funny enough, uh, accused Janet Reno of sexual battery in the 80s, too. Uh, he claims that Janet Reno uh, said to him that, that he uh, apparently—so here, here's what it says. Um, Thompson gave Reno a letter at a campaign event requesting that she check a box to indicate whether she was homosexual, bisexual, or heterosexual. And then Reno put her hand on his shoulder and said, I'm only interested in virile men. That's why I'm not attracted to you. And he immediately filed a police report. Like, this guy is a bigot. He's a homophobe. He's a hack lawyer that, like, would never win. And he just got these little victories, like getting Howard Stern pulled off of a few networks. So Jack Thompson had gotten very successful with his grift by just becoming a media hog. He was a guy who would just show up on CNN uh, he would show up on Fox News. He would show up on CBS. He would show up anywhere. And he would warn people about obscenity in video games, obscenity in rap music, obscenity in in uh, in pretty much anything that wasn't, you know, again, just a bunch of Christian pablum bullshit. And, and, le- and let's take for a second here, too. Uh, I just want to once again remind us that the people he was peddling this to were boomers. Uh, uh who who lived through the comics code debacle? Like so, these people like who were kids were kids. Like saw this moral panic happen, then grew up, became adults, and participated in another exactly the same moral panic. And they already been through a couple because there was the heavy metal panic in uh, the eighties, the Satan worship thing, and like uh, Dungeons and Dragons got involved in it. Like my mom wouldn't let me play Dungeons and Dragons because she thought we were going to kill ourselves. Like. Uh, the 80s Dungeons and Dragons panic was real. There was even a movie that came out with Tom Hanks called Mazes and Monsters, where he plays D&D with some friends and then ends up worshiping Satan and killing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not yeah, even yeah. joking. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there, there was, was a real satanic panic about D&D. Uh, and it just, it, it just cultural panics. And Leslie, you do worship Satan now though, right? Uh, Cthulhu, actually. Cthulhu. Okay, okay, there's yeah. a very, there's a lot of confusion He's, about that. I'm but sorry. Not the he same. prefers... I know that was probably offensive. He prefers the say. term the old one. It's, yeah, and it's, okay. it's not so much as worship, just, you know, abdication, realizing that as a human, you have no control over this world. And this is not your world. It's the world of the elder gods. Uh, they they are, they were, they will be. Um, even yeah. though we do not currently see them, they move amongst us. Um, and they will come soon uh, and take over this world once again. And I'm, and we are all here to prostrate ourselves in front of their eldritch horrors. Uh, anyway, getting back to Jack Thompson. So, so it's really important. It's really important to note how strong of an effect Jack Thompson and people like him had on the rise of the quote unquote gamer identity. Yes, because the gamer identity was created amidst years and years of of capitalist competition amongst. Which system was supreme? My right. system is better than your system. My mascot is better than your system. Crash right. Bandicoot is better than Sonic is better than Mario. Well, that's crazy. Whatever the fuck. And so you just had kids that were constantly fighting about this. And boom, here comes a greater enemy to unite all of the gamers, get them all together, and kick this loser's ass. 
<laughs> what better way to get all of the consumers on board? And so the video games industry seized on these lunatics and put them everywhere. If you could not open an issue of EGM or Game Informer or Next Generation without reading a story about Jack Thompson. And now looking back as a kid, I, I realize how much that upset me. And a lot of people, young people were upset, but that was the fucking point. The yeah. whole point was to agitate these kids and teenagers into stepping up for the industry. It worked. And so now you have, uh, you know, I mean, it, the danger is that eventually led into, you know, microtransactions and loot boxes and predatory unfinished games. Like, the, the game industry used the violence debate and the moral panic to insulate their, their base into supporting them through some really kind of fucked up shit. I, I agree with that. And I also think that, like, you know, sort of uh, uh, the game. So I, this this really, like, is an interesting question uh, of where did the gamer identity kind of come from? Like, what came first? Is it all because that is it because gamers are mostly like disaffected young men or are they disaffected young men because they're gamers? Like, what came first? Is it because there was this like media push about like video games are bad and the people who play them are bad? Uh, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, what made gamers into this like volatile online block? I will say that after Columbine... There was I a vilification. A there was. I felt the shift. I felt the shift being like a weird, maladaptive kid Me after too. Columbine, where it was like, oh, this kid's kind of weird, to this kid could kill us all. Yeah. Everybody, uh, suddenly everyone started being very weird about my hand-drawn maps of the school, and, <laughs> and my poems about pipe bombs. No, but, not- but for real, though, like, as a weird kid who plays video games, like, it was suddenly a new way to be bullied. Yes. You know what I mean? It's By like, adults. you're the trench coat mafia. And then, yeah, the adults, not necessarily, like, pushing you over or anything like that, but, like, kind of agreeing. You know what I mean? Like, they watch CNN, and they're like, but those games are very bad, and they you shouldn't play them. Yes. And so... I think the game's... And here I am. I'm just a young man. I just want to fucking become supersonic. I'm not even, like, playing, like, uh, that yeah, violent Yeah, I wasn't games playing yet. that many... Uh, I guess the... What was the most violent game I was playing at the time? Like, Quake? Like, Quake Well, I two. guess... So So when was Columbine, I guess? Columbine was, what, 98? So, so Grand Theft Auto 3 hadn't even come out yet. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto 3, actually... Uh, it's really interesting. 9-11 is sort of what kicked off the moral panic for that one. Yeah. Because... Uh, Seeing New York, seeing such violence, uh, such realistic, quote unquote, violence in New York City after 9-11 was something that was was very jarring and offensive. Like, you're killing cops. Cops are our heroes. It, they saved us all. Right. It, it just, it, it, if there's actually a really mediocre uh, British uh, docudrama you can watch with Daniel Radcliffe as one of the Hauser brothers, uh, one of the British guys who created Rockstar, and then Bill Paxton as Jack Thompson. It's called Game Changer. It's really not that good, but it is funny to see Bill Paxton in one of his last roles as this guy. <laughs> uh, but basically, what it, what it boiled down to was these games were cultural mirrors. Kids were identifying with them because the world was fucked up. Mm-hmm. And that's always how art has sort of worked, where, like, fucked up art gets rewarded because the world is fucked up, and people see that as a mirror, and they see parallels, and they see things that they can relate to. Yeah, hello, uh, NWA, and this is what they said at the time when they were, when Tipper Gore um, was campaigning against, you know, uh, rap lyrics, right? Like, hip-hop was the CNN of the streets, as Chuck D said, so it wasn't like art was creating this 
terrible world right. and creating these killers. No, people who have to live in these situations were just talking about it or representing or presenting it and that offended certain um, middle class and upper middle class sensibilities on both the left and the right. And that's why these moral panics happen. And this is why Grand Theft Auto, for example, just to say Grand Theft Auto didn't create the actual crime, Grand Theft Auto. No, you know? carjackings existed yeah. more. You could press and, and, triangle to do and it. And maybe Grand Theft Auto, uh, uh, you know, in a way is only so appealing because it's this like weird outsider view on like the capitalist hell that we live in in America and like yeah, it's a is kind of a satire. It's, on. A, it's a masculine fantasy with mediocre dick joke satire. Yeah. But it was revolutionary. Some funny radio stations. <laughs> the radio stations were great, even though, like, if you listen to them now, they're not as funny as they were when you were 12. It's just, like, like uh, Fernando and shit, like, Fernando's New Beginnings. <laughs> it was just, it's, it's terrible. Like, they're not that funny. They're, like, sub-opiant. But in, in, in any event, but, like, I don't know, is Grand Theft Auto popular because it's a violence simulator? I don't know. Postal wasn't the most popular game. Is it popular because it's, like, a big, large-scale satire of, like all of American life, I would argue that maybe that is more why it's popular. Yes. Like there are plenty of shitty just murder simulator games that nobody plays. Like, right? I mean, remember the panic about hatred a couple of years ago? Yeah, nobody played. Nobody fucking played hatred. that game, yeah. and Kotaku was running articles every other day about how this was the most evil thing ever. And it was like, what is happening? Where the video game blogs are now writing? <laughs> now they're the boomers. They're the boomers now. They're the boomers. They're writing about games in the same way that the old media did in the '90s. It's very weird that the video game media does that now but i digress My oh, it's, point is, it's actually predictable it's not a digression it's predictable right. like it's the same pattern over and over again the people who had their comics away were trying to take away metal and hip-hop and the people who had their metal and hip-hop taken away were trying to take away video games the people who had try who uh who had their video games taken away were not trying to take away you know more video games so like it's just a pattern that repeats itself <laughs> and nobody seems to figure out at any point whatsoever yeah. That, you know, art is going to offend old people, and that's just how yes. it's going to be. Art is going to, art is only good if it's challenging, and, it and comes- every generation is going to have a new and more challenging art form, and it's going to make old people feel weird. So this is where, this is where I get very frustrated when I see, uh, you know, people on the, you know, when I see, like, salon articles, like, you know, top eight racist Seinfeld moments, or, like, you know, five problematic dead or alive costumes because all these kind of clickbait moral panic articles do is one, uh, stir up people who have never played these games before and make them go like, oh, such filthy garbage. We should yeah. destroy it all. And then on the other side, you have people who are going, oh, uh, because I like to play this anime dating simulator, I'm like, uh, banned from ever uh, being a leftist or liberal, so uh, I guess I'm going to join the alt-right. Like, you have a huge contingent of people who will naturally rebel against whoever says that you can't enjoy this thing. And so it, it just doesn't... To, to actually... It, it, it not only doesn't work to try to... I mean, this is really the, the crux of my argument. Not only does it not work to try to take things away from young people that they enjoy, but it actively creates a counter movement a reactionary counter movement which could turn them into even more fucked up adults i guess what you're saying is 
Tell a kid not to have something, and they will desperately want it more than anything on the planet. Yeah. Uh, so if it, if there's a bunch of like old people on television wearing suits, and literally like when they were to, you know talking about video games in the '90s, they couldn't turn on a television for like 15 <laughs> minutes, and they were like trying to get the Nintendo hooked up to it. Uh, um, so if if you're a kid and you're watching Joe Lieberman on television talk about how like vi- video games make you violent and they get get taken away. I remember as a kid, I'm like, well, I, I want Night Trap so bad now. <laughs> like, Night Trap, that's scary and yeah. cool. And by the way, there's also, I mean, there's an element of anti-Japanese racism in a lot of this stuff, too. Like well, and also, and also I Sony would... Sony Pearl Harbor 2 when the PlayStation came <laughs> oh out. Oh, my God. Like, these are... There, there's, there's a lot of, like, really fucked up stuff that was going on in the name of protecting children. I mean, yeah. It, and also, a lot of this, you know, you could also say that, like... Why would old media, like all the cable channels and everything, have a vested interest in, like, you know, uh, uh, killing video games? Is like, maybe because they're old media. Old media. It's just, well, it's just, but, well, it's... Not, so now, now all of them have video game verticals now. Yeah, that's they all true. Have video game, so the war, the corporate uh, war... JDB, on, uh, close oh, yeah. your mind. The corporate war on violent video games uh, officially ended in... Let me just jump ahead a little bit before we go back. So Biden was another well, big let, anti- Let's talk about hot okay. coffee. I want to talk about hot coffee. Let's talk, you're right. Let's talk about hot coffee because hot coffee was sort of, uh, was a defining moment in the George W. Bush chapter of the video game Violent Wars. Now, hot coffee was one of the silliest fucking controversies ever. And yeah. but it was time, huge, 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 huge. So if you played Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, you knew that you played, you played as a, as a gangbanger from Grove Street by the name of CJ. Now, what Grand Theft Auto San Andreas added was a dating component. You could go on dates with lots of random women and eventually have sex with them. Now, the sex was always you would stand outside of the house and the date would say, would you want to come in for some hot coffee? And then the characters would walk inside and you would hear like moans as the house was just in the background. You didn't see anything. It just the camera would stay on the outdoor of the house, the exterior. What Rockstar had secretly done was they had programmed and forgot to remove an interactive sex game where you moved <laughs> you moved the analog stick on the DualShock on the PlayStation to thrust faster or slower. But the animation had never been completed, so all these sex scenes were completely clothed <laughs> and had no <laughs> facial animations. And, well, it looked like, I mean, it looked like it was 2003, yeah. which it was. Yeah. So... Not, not sexy, not, not erotic, sexy. <laughs> not explicit, just bad moaning noises and like kind of like flicking. if you like uh, if you took two Lego uh, men and jammed and them just together, like mashed them on top of each other. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it looks and, like. It's so goofy. So uh, eventually, what happened is that people hacked the game and got access to it, and they were able. If you went out of your way to do this. You could mod the game to unlock right. this little mini game um, because you, and it's so you uh, again that's the a, game yeah that's a very important because that was never really talked about in the massive controversies like right. the only people who ever saw this were people who had to go out of their way and hack their game uh, to get to it. Right. If you're a computer programmer, <laughs> you might be able to see two extremely low poly models move close to each other. <laughs> well, and part of what was so frustrating was how artificial it was. You could find much more graphic sex in games like God of War, which had the most extreme, like, blood orgies like I, yeah. I had ever was seen. Was God of War before GTA? Was San Andreas? No, I, think, uh, I think God of War was uh, later. But God of War had a minigame, too, but it was also, like, off-camera. It was off-camera. 
No, God. Well, I guess yeah. The, you're right. The camera cut away when Kratos was boning, but it. Had but you saw nudity. like toplessness. Yeah, it had yeah, nudity. You, it had. Yeah. So the first God of War. Wow, it came out in 2005. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, so it was, like it was, so that shows how quickly we move past. Um, the right. concert, like hot coffee was just this huge thing. It was always on TV. People were talking about it, like Nancy Grace and all this shit, like constantly freaking out about this. All it did was make the mod infinitely more popular because people just didn't know about it. Like back then, like you didn't spend all day on Twitter talking about uh, fucking video games. All, right. All, right. So like you had to, go, so, but you were hearing on the news about all oh, this great mod that had sex games to uh, grant that right. follow. So that just made more people uh, use it basically. Basically. So yeah, I, my mistake. San Andreas came out at the end of 2004, early 2005. Okay. So a little bit before a little God before, of War sure. came out. But uh, the ESRB went into a panic mode. The games industry got together and they said, we, we don't know what to do. They slapped San Andreas with an AO rating and Take-Two was forced to recall every copy of the game <laughs> and release a new one with the, with the code from Hot Coffee removed that probably cost them millions of dollars. And... We They're didn't okay, though. see Don't worry. sex panic in video games like that again until Mass Effect, where Mass Effect wait, had these two... Wait, wait, okay. wait, wait, is, is Let's stay in... Yeah, yeah, yeah keep jumping ahead. Kind of jumping ahead because, like... But the thing is, it was such a big deal then... Um, that there was this uh, mini sex game that you had to hack the game to get in. A year later, like God of War comes out, and there's just a sex game in it, and it's made by and it's a game public made and published by Sony, which is like you know which makes the uh, it's a first party developer, a first party yeah. developer. So there's nudity in the game, and there's a mini sex game in it, and we're already past it. And then fast forward a, little, a couple of years more for Mass Effect, where there's a fully nude sex scene with your character in it, and the kind controversy wasn't nearly as big um I don't, I don't think like people talked about it there were like there's still clips of like uh fox news it's fox news uh, at freaking, the end but yeah by the end of the day it's like just fox news freaking out about it right liberals had yeah. mostly given up on the video game fight by the end of the late 2000s just because bush was pushing on obscenity so much and it's i mean george w bush when he was president launched an obscenity task force that was just constantly like arresting random pornographers, arresting random, uh, you know, magazine editors. Yeah, and putting them in jail for, like, real, like, putting people in prison for porn. People were, yeah, people were going to jail for porn. People don't remember how fucked up it was. I mean, and some of those people, you know, like, like, Max Hardcore, like, maybe that guy might have deserved it. You know. But, you know, like, Probably for other stuff, not just the porn, like, for other. Yeah, but, like, guys like Tommy Chong were, were, you know, John Ashcroft was the DA, and he was just obsessed with... Uh, stopping sex and drugs and fake violence. Now, none of these people gave a shit about real violence. Nobody even considered the fact that maybe we're seeing all of these violence games because uh, we're occupying Iraq and Afghanistan, <laughs> and maybe what that's why these military shooters are going up. Part of the 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 fuck. What is that word called? The eh, cut this part. The Z. What's it called? The z- z- zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. Now, what could possibly have made extreme violence part of the zeitgeist of that time? <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a society that is completely soaked in blood. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, but you know, around around this time, this is when the army was going. What are, what are we doing? Why are we shitting on video games? We should be making our own. And that's when America's army came to be, and that was sort of the the end of the mainstream. Uh, around this time, like yeah, Mass Effect. America's army came out. What year did America's army came out? The originally, because that was a really interesting moment. That was a watershed moment. In the world of, of of 
gaming and and power. That was 2002, actually. So the gaming industry had been starting to work with the military even before all of these panics. And so I think America's Army was a watershed moment because that was the moment where the government said, oh, we can use video games to recruit. And without America's Army, I don't think you would have games like yeah, Call of Duty. Yeah, so and I don't think you would have games like a, a, a Medal of Honor Warfighter. Yeah, so like why? Well, yeah, so I guess the question was, why should people who want to fight demons have a murder simulator when we could have our own murder simulator? Right. right. Why are we treat, uh, teaching people to kill demons instead of Arabs? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so it was just this bizarre double standard. Uh I mean, I would love to do an episode about growing up under Bush and how just fucking insane it was and how every single person born in the late uh, 80s is just completely irreparably doomed from having a childhood with that man as president. Yeah, but I won't I, get into that now. That's another one, time. The one thing I want to bring up is that uh, does anybody remember the campaign to buy uh, President Bush a PlayStation 2 so he wouldn't uh, go to war in Iraq? So like <laughs> if he could just, you know, get his, you know, a, a male aggression out on a video game, he wouldn't have to go and kill a bunch of Iraqis. Like it, it seems like like it seems like the um, such a strange uh, moment in history that I think people have mostly forgotten because yeah. I, I, I assume that like that would have been the first thing to happen when Trump uh, got elected to start like a GoFundMe to get him like a PlayStation 4. But all of this panic did try to did force the video game industry to sort of uh, reestablish how it markets itself to the public, which was well, we shouldn't jump too okay, far okay, ahead, okay, though, yeah. because there is something around 2004, 2005 that is a. Uh, Pretty interesting. And that was our old friend Hillary Clinton getting herself involved. <laughs> yes. Hillary Clinton got involved in the 2000s. And she, uh, she like all the other Democrats. With Joe Lieberman. With Joe Lieberman, did not like video games. Who should have been vice president. It's a right? shame. Shouldn't yeah. he have been vice president then? It's a shame that Joe Lieberman wasn't vice president. Yeah. Because think about... If Joe Lieberman was vice president, there's no way Al Gore would have ever invaded Iraq or Afghanistan. That just wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened with Joe Lieberman at and, the wheel. And definitely, history has proven that choosing Joe Lieberman as the Democratic running mate uh, in 2000, no more progressive a guy could you find than yeah. Joe Lieberman. I mean, the voting record shows uh, yeah. uh, that this is a real progressive. And just to, speaking of voting records, um, Hillary Clinton actually... Uh, submitted a bill that called the uh, Family Entertainment Protection Act to make yes, the ES to make the ESRB ratings like federal law, where you could actually be fined and um, face legal action if you sell the wrong video game to the wrong kid. Which, Which by the way, is the Jack Thompson thing. That was like his whole was thing his whole was thing trying to like punish, ESR, yeah. yeah, punish so like um, retailers and shit. Right, like, yeah, if you were, like, a 16-year-old who worked at, like, uh, fucking EB Games, and you sold, like, another 16-year-old, like, uh, I don't know, like, a Fear Effect 2, like, <laughs> your life was, you'd get fired. Well, like, yeah. you get prosecuted. That's what they wanted. They wanted it to be a crime. Imagine if you did that at movie theaters. Imagine if, imagine if like, the fucking pimple-nosed kid who gave you, like, a ticket 
to the Matrix 2 got busted by a federal regulator. It's just fucking insane. And, and, you yeah. just, and it just makes you wonder why people weren't excited for Hillary Clinton. I mean, between this bill to uh, criminalize selling the wrong video game to her bill that uh, she introduced a sponsor to criminalize burning the flag, like, it's just amazing to me. Or that like there wasn't having more, slaves. Yeah, it, yeah, it just, it, that there wasn't more excitement for her. I mean, at all the experience, <laughs> you know, making these extremely fascistic uh, laws in Congress, or at least trying to, I should say, because they failed too. So she failed at this as well. Like she tried to uh, create these laws and they both failed. Um, so she fucking sucks. I mean, and we're talking about spending like government money on secret shoppers that work for the government <laughs> trying to trick people into sell, selling like kids maturated. And by the way, when she, when she uh, uh, made the big announcement about this, she was like, she said, I, I, I remember this, that she said that there was a game that featured cannibalism, and I still don't know what the fuck video <laughs> game she's talking about. Like, what cannibal game is there with, like, realistic depictions of cannibalism that she was talking about? Um, Hillary Clinton, if you want to come on Struggle Session and explain yourself, uh, I'd love to play whatever fucking cannibal game you were talking about. Um, so Hillary Clinton, yeah, she railed against video games until... 2015, like two years ago, three years ago. Like, this is not something she did, like, during, like, the 90s arcade era. This is right. the late 80s. This, this isn't is what this wasn't like a she first just yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> this is something she just did just before she ran for president. Even though the video games industry at this point is basically like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like as big as movies. Yeah. Like, kids. yeah. like, it's not the, the generation gap is like all of the kids who grew up. Turning on the TV and seeing Democrats dumping on their favorite hobby, working in lockstep with family values lobbyists on the right, can now fucking vote. And they don't fucking like them. Hello? You have an entire generation of mostly young men, but a lot of young women too, who were, who were demonized as kids in the face of multiple violent panics. And... And also, like, you know, uh, uh, and there's a generation of young people, yeah, like, that were, like, made to feel like pieces of shit, <laughs> like, because, like, we, because of the, the type of thing that we enjoyed, you know what I, I mean? mean? Like, it's were, no fun, were... like, nobody fucking, after James Holmes shot up uh, Dark Knight, nobody was like, we gotta look at these Batman movies, yeah, like, we, we but we after gotta... Columbine, like, there was a long period of time where, like, you're a fucked up little weirdo, like, uh, Kids... it, it, it heightened bullying in a weird way. It did, well, I remember, it heightened also, like, administrative bullying. I remember reading stories about kids who would like design counter-strike maps based off of their school and it's like uh, we gotta expel him, not send him to right. architectural school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like this kid is like basically creating like an AutoCAD design, and we're like fucking like put him in juvie. Yeah, like lots of kids were getting punished. Like uh, you know, any of the weird kids who would write like violent poems as like teenagers do were starting to get suspended, expelled, sent to to, to other schools. Like there was just a deep, deep, deep mistrust of young boys growing up in this era because as soon as Columbine happened, the flip switched from, like, these kids are kind of weird to they could kill us all. Now, um, and as it turned out, most of them didn't kill us all. No, a <laughs> few did, but yeah, most of them did not. So the thing about, the you know, having Democrats working with moral majority conservatives uh, against things that young people like is that, yes, they grow up, they vote, and they don't like those people anymore. Democrats have this weird Venn diagram uh, sharing thing with the the family values right, where they just don't like catharsis. They don't like the idea of people reenacting their fucked up fantasies, even if it's even if it's consensual and fake. Like even if it's not real, 
the Democrats seem to have like a, a, a weird control thing. And I've never understood why that, that anybody, uh, anybody even left of the Democrats would try this approach because we, are lit- we literally have 60 years of evidence, 70 years of evidence it didn't work. It didn't work with comic books, didn't work with rock music, didn't work with punk music, didn't work with violent 70s movies, didn't work with black exploitation, didn't work with crime films, didn't work with rap music, didn't work with heavy metal, didn't work with, 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 with alt-rock or hair metal, didn't work with, uh, to, with grunge, uh, it didn't work with, with uh, you know, the, the, the black uh, movies of the 90s, the crime movies of, like, the, the second wave of black exploitation. Uh, didn't doesn't fucking work. When you go against bread and circuses, when you go against the things that uh, give people fantasy and escapism and, and a, a sense of comfort in exploring outside of their known, people get mad. It really is the same as almost like we're going to take away your guns because... Well, in, in a weird way, I but do it, think... But, it, but it's more logical. It makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, like, now we're at a point where, like, all those things you listed, like, the mainstream movies are so much, like, objectively, like, worse in scare quotes as far as a moral panic goes. Like, like the Marvel movies now are more, more violent than, like, Boys in the Hood, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like all... Higher body counts. Yeah, yeah. With, with, yeah. Way higher. Just, but just, but just in bloodless. the sense that these they, movies have approximately a hundred nine elevens per film now. But they're bloodless, and that's that's another weird thing is the the emphasis and focus. And this has really been a thing that I mean, slasher movies had to deal with the shit in the eighties too. The emphasis on freaking out over gore over the act of violence itself. A lot of people uh, would freak out about not just the violence, but like the fact that it was bloody violence. But David Lynch actually had an amazing thing uh, where he basically said that, like, I'm more freaked out by bloodless violence than I am violence yeah. with blood. Like, you're supposed to yeah. see the consequence of violence to actually understand that it's violence. Right. Bloodless violence, like in these Marvel movies, uh, yeah, like 50,000 people die in each of these movies and, you, like, it's just joke, 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 joke. Right. It, that, to me, is more disturbing. But anyway, I digress. So the ESA, the uh, Entertainment Software Association, they – what they did was <laughs> – they started really whipping people up into a frenzy against these these political campaigns, and it worked. And you started to see a, another group pop up uh, called the ECA, the Entertainment Consumers Association. It was started by this dude named Hal Halpin, and Hal Halpin was, like, in every fucking magazine. He was the guy who would represent gamers whenever, like, CNN or Fox News needed, like, a pro-gamer guy. But what he really was is, I mean, he was a corporate lobbyist who worked for the games industry, who fought for the games industry on behalf of gamers. So while he started the organization and gamers paid memberships, this was not actually a real advocacy group. This was a group designed to protect the industry through uh, the gamer identity. And it's a very weird kind of murky thing because I think the games industry is actually a little predatory in how it it, it, it takes people's identities. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is when liberals freak out about stuff for no reason and are reactionary, they push them to the ar- into the arms of corporations and conservatives who don't care about people at all, but at least will pretend to. Correct. Correct. That is what I'm saying. And so finally, actually, to put a uh, Halpin would would show up everywhere, but he would only show up to do like pro industry things because he's a not a gamer. He's a guy from the industry that right. is pretending to represent the gamers. Eventually what happened was is that there was a 
I think one of the best websites in the 2000s to, to read about all this stuff was GamePolitics.com because it was just a dispassionate, uh, it was this, what was the name of the guy? Dennis. I'm going to read the, his, the archives are actually still online of Game Politics because Game Politics covered this stuff in a fantastic way. Uh, what's his name? Dennis, um, blah, 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 blah. Dennis McCauley. Yeah, it started in 2005 around the time of the hot coffee panic. And it was just uh, for like 10, you know, I was 16 when it came out. And like for 10, for 10 years, it was like the place to go to read about anything in the world of video games and video games news. I mean, they covered everything from Jax Thompson being disbarred by Florida for just harassing a judge <laughs> to, uh, to uh, Joe Lieberman in 2013 talking about floating a violent video game tax. What happened was is that representatives and lobbyists from the video game industry met with Lieberman. And uh, he changed his mind. That was it. It was very interesting. This dude had been fighting against video games for 20-something years, and the industry had finally grown to the point where they could have, like, a functional lobby. And that was it. They just sat with the vice president, and he never brought it up again. <laughs> that was the end of, of, of uh, Biden caring. But just almost all of these people, like, make no mistake, in the world of D.C., were liberals and neoliberals at that. They were people who cared about protecting children by changing culture, which I think is a through line you actually saw a lot in the Obama administration, where you have a presidency obsessed with changing the narrative on television rather than changing the world. Neoliberals, by, by essentially doing the, we need to protect kids from, from uh, for the last 60 years, we need to protect kids from, from violent media. It just doesn't fucking work. We need to protect kids from sex and media. It doesn't, I mean, especially now it doesn't work because any nine-year-old can just load up Pornhub in five seconds and see, you know, any double anal gangbang they want. But <laughs> back then when, when the government, it's very weird to me because it's like, in theory, right, young people should be on the side of the government over corporations. Corporations are bad. Corporations are what's destroying this country and destroying the free world. And yet, by responding to corporate overreach with moral panic rather than practical, you know, issues, like if Hillary Clinton and, and, and Joe Biden and Joseph Lieberman were talking to the House and the Senate uh, about how, uh, you know, consolidation of these industries was going to create a, a darker future for our children or how, uh, you know, the money is getting so big that lobbyists can just show up and dictate policy. That's all universal. That's not stuff that they would have won a whole lot more people over if they had actually looked at any of these things from a populist point of view, rather than from a, we need to stop young people from experiencing these things. Because yeah, again, as soon as you tell a young person they can't do something, they're going to want to do it. And they're going to want to only do that. Just by making it cool, by making it rebellious. So it, it doesn't matter if your intentions are progressive, because what you're actually doing is just classic right-wing moral majority bullshit, just under, without Jesus. So you can draw a through line between all the moral panics, whether it was comic books uh, uh, in the 1950s, rap and rock music in the 80s and 90s, video games in the 90s through the 2000s. Uh, no matter what, every generation is going to be afraid of the younger generation's media and entertainment, and they're going to fight to destroy it. Uh, uh, kind of just for no reason, just because they're old and scared. Uh, so as disappointing as it was, I'm, I'm as disappointed in the boomers as I could ever be. Uh, 
And the conclusion of all of this, the thing that we've been driving to for this entire episode, is that we can't allow ourselves to be caught up in the next moral panic. And so we all need to support Logan Paul. Uh, uh, we need to. So this is another situation in which young people like something, and all these old people are ganging up. I'm part of the Logan gang. Uh, you stop beating up on Logan and uh, just give him a second chance. You know, it's 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 funny you bring that up because there is an element of like. Kids only watching YouTube videos is scary for, like, slightly older people who grew up on, you know, traditional TV and film. But, like, this is an issue of, again, uh, corporate consolidation because this entire new medium is only controlled by one company. You know, it's not like when we were growing up, what's a little different, I think, about YouTube is that it is all Google. They have sole control over everything that billions of people see. And what goes viral and what goes trending and what ends up on the popular sidebar, that's all decided by a mixture of algorithms and random employees in, you know, a, a campus in in, a, in the Bay Area. Uh, with the video game industry and with rock and roll and with music, is that there actually used to be more than two companies. So you actually had lots and lots and lots of small businesses uh, forced to essentially coalesce to fight back against these moral panics. And now, like... There's just one company, so the moral panic doesn't really last against Google the way it would last against, say, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the guy at 3DO. <laughs> it's it's a it's a very bizarre thing. It shows you uh, the double how, how corporate consolidation, while it puts a stop to a lot of like this, uh, it doesn't actually though, because there's still moral panics. They're just every day now, and then. They go away and they're, it's just, we just have daily moral panics that constantly shift rather than one thing that scares people for months at a time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's and the it's, moral it's, panic it's, about, uh, Logan Paul, uh, Logang, uh, for life, gang, 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 um, <laughs> it was entirely directed at, uh, Logan himself and not the companies that support him. And, you know, co cause Congress is not going to take on YouTube because Logan Paul posted a bad, bad video on their platform, which makes him millions of dollars. It's just not going to, uh, happen. They have far too many, uh, defense contracts probably for that. What what it, what it really what it really boils down to is that so many reactionary young dudes, uh, who who have this sort of like don't let the government take my stuff away, grew up in an atmosphere where their one hobby was actually legally under threat, and so some of this paranoia comes from like real justified stuff. It it didn't just appear out of thin air that these these guys are so reactionary and it makes it makes them ripe for radicalization for i mean pretty much anybody i mean gamers are it's open season on gamers now i truly truly believe that this is a great time to push gamers left because i think gamers are seeing that this rightward shift they've had over the last few years isn't really working for them anymore the game industry itself seems to be moving away from it even though that they've they've been cowards and and the press in the world of gaming has just can, you know, continue to consolidate. It like, also doesn't there's like still fit. only IGN and GameSpot it, it, left. It also doesn't just fit. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Dates. It doesn't fit with with gamer ideology. I think, and honestly, it's like weird to even talk about gamers as this like giant block to begin with. It's a hobby, but right. yeah. it, it was doesn't never like that. But conservatism like doesn't necessarily like go hand in hand with video games. I just think that a lot of people who play video games were reacting to people saying that their hobby is fucked up. Right. You know what I mean? For such a long time, like, and and it also has been this weird. thing. 
thing under, I would say even under like the Obama years where it like became okay to make fun of gamers again and sort of just like, you know, depict them as like closet dwelling, like loser uh, idiots. The Democrats Uh, uh, are so obsessed with policing culture rather than fixing the problems that create these. I mean, when you see like, uh, what was it? Senator Claire McCaskill was like trying to start like a, a Game of Thrones boycott over like the, the rape scene of Cersei. Like that comes from like the same reactionary bullshit. Like I'm not offended by rape on Game of Thrones. I'm offended by real rape. Like I'm not offended by simulated acts of violence or simulated acts of bigotry or misogyny. And I think most people actually shouldn't be. They should be fucking upset by the real shit they see everywhere. It's about being able to tell fantasy from reality, and that just doesn't exist in our political world. So anyway, in conclusion, uh, video game panic was real, but you're not in danger anymore. The games aren't going anywhere. So yeah, I mean, also out. like you know, uh, it, it comes from all sides. It's like uh, on the one side there there are well no, but it's like no, it, politicians and sort of. Uh, uh, opportunists who are sort of vilifying gamers and video games in general but then also like the very advocacy organizations were sort of uh, uh, they were in- stirring young people up and well, scaring but, and, and but in the defense of corporations like yes. you know what I mean ultimately like ultimately like who's left out to dry here are the people who actually enjoy video games like they were their brains were fucked up by like a you know uh, enthusiast industry trying to fuck up their brains and then it didn't help that also on the other side there were people doing stupid fucking things that were worth being angry about. Like, and so who's left out to dry here are like a generation of young men who were made radicalized, like for the benefit of companies and who now those same companies, and we'll talk about this on another episode, don't want anything to do with them. them. They made them into these like sort of fringe lunatics. And now they're like, well, they're fringe lunatics when they get mad at us about loot boxes. That goes into the hardcore casual thing, which is another episode entirely. Um, so, so in the, in, in the end, uh, uh, it's all fucked. The video game industry itself is bad. Uh, <laughs> liberals are also bad. Uh, but if you play video games and you're a video gamer, you, you can, uh, rest easy, uh, uh knowing that if all this is confusing, uh, it's because it was meant to be confusing <laughs> uh, and that you've been used. Uh, uh, you are continuing to be used. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, at, at the very least they could just give us a fucking achievement for all this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of Struggle Session. Uh, subscribe to us on Patreon. If you'd like to shoot us an email, hit us up at thestrugglesession at gmail.com. We are at strugglesession.us if you'd like to check out our Tumblr. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, not me, but us in general, 
check out at Struggle Sesh, S-E-S-H. What is Beast Coast? It's an experience from the bucolic hills of Western Massachusetts to the bustling metropolis of Washington, D.C. We bring you cultural phenomenon, dystopian futures, apocalyptic politics. Join us on a journey of humor, rage, and disgust and add Beast Coast wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon. Like what you hear, want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.